I'm so glad to be here. It's, uh, I'm excited about the day. I, again, happy Father's Day. I'm happy to be a dad of four. Um, they're, pretty, they're pretty good kids. They're all right. I, did, I, I got a good bunch, I guess. And uh, <laughs> I guess one's here. One is great, at least one of them. Um, I can happily say that, uh, um, that I do have some good kids. The other day, Grayson was uh, walking around the house, and he was saying, I'm king of the house king of the house. And Addie, my daughter, she said, shouldn't you be saying dad is the king of the house? Which I'm like, sweet child of mine, you know what I mean? <laughs> she knows so much truth. And, and, he, and he goes, I don't know. I think mom's the king of the house. <laughs> and out of the babes, so much truth. Which if she's the king, then I'm probably like the joker or something. I'm not quite sure. But um, as a dad, I, I've had many moments that um, you kind of had the dad fail, you know what I mean? And uh, there's a lot, of, a lot of dad's root beer bottles being opened right now, and I love it. It's like, <laughs> um, it's cool. Keep going. I, I'm, I'm good with it. Uh, but the, the other day, um, Christy calls me, and <clears throat> she said that she had taken the kids to the dentist, and she says, hey, Grayson has three cavities. And I was like, oh. And I, like in the moment, I was like, oh, no, because I'm responsible for um, getting Grayson ready most days, and I brush his teeth. Oh, and when I say I brush his teeth, about six, month, six months ago, I quit brushing his teeth and just let him brush his own teeth, which means he just puts his toothbrush in his mouth and sort of goes, done, you know what I mean? And so when she said, like, he's got three cavities, I go, oh, that may be my fault. And she's like, why? And I was like, well, I've sort of passed that responsibility to him, maybe a little too early. And anyway, dad fails happen all the time. Um, my perspective is, though, by the way, on that little note, those are baby teeth. They don't really count. He has to start taking care of them, you know, in the next round. So those are just throwaways. Uh, anyway, <laughs> truth, right? Okay, so um, anyway, as we, as we continue uh, this series on Jesus, it's been really, really good. And, and it's been fun to just talk about Jesus and who he is and, and how much he loves us and all the things he's done. And, and we've been talking about some of the big picture things these first five weeks. Um, We've talked about everything from his kingdom and the announcement of his kingdom, that he was the promised, prophesied Messiah that was going to come, and that's who he was, and he came to establish a kingdom. And we talked about his message. We even talk, explored some of the questions that people have about Jesus, some of the doubts they have, and, 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 and his message. And so we explored that. And, 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 and last week, we, we talked even about this sort of what, what kind of lit him up, what was his passion about. And, and, and so... These first four weeks, and today being the fifth, really all five of these have been about sort of big picture Jesus. We could probably be on big picture Jesus for a number of other weeks, and, and we'll probably revisit it, but um, we're also going to talk this summer about some of the encounters, the stories that people, um, that we read in the scripture where people encounter Jesus, and there was some sort of uh, purpose or, or understanding that we can get from it that's going to be life-giving to us. And um, the central heart of this series, though, is really just, if we make Jesus you know, the center of our lives, and he is Lord of our lives, um, that we would become people who would breathe in and breathe out the gospel of Jesus, that we breathe it in, we receive it, but we breathe it out too, and we give it, right, to the world, uh, that that is the heart of what we're, we're about. And I was thinking about just a few scriptures that really encapsulate just even the tip of the iceberg of this subject, and I, and I thought of Hebrews 12 too, and it says this, and we've heard this scripture before, a lot of us have. It says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, right? The author, or let me say this one, because this is a different version, the pioneer 
and the perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, and he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So if we fix our eyes on Jesus, or if our vision, if our direction, if our focus is on Jesus, it makes, it, there's also another scripture kind of like this in Colossians 1, and it says this. It says, since you have been raised to a new life with Christ, since you've been raised up to a new life with Jesus, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits at the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. Of earth. So he says, fix your eyes on Jesus, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Jesus sits at God's right hand. So I believe what we're, we're, we're stepping into is I believe that whenever we actually are focused on Jesus, when we're looking at Jesus, when our eyes are on Jesus, when our, when our hearts are set on, on the things of heaven, well, something starts to happen in the world around us. It's like all of a sudden the kingdom of God, the kingdom of Jesus starts to come to earth. Heaven starts to come to earth. And then all of a sudden we start to see the ministry of God released and empowered in the world around us. And things start to change. Lives start to change. And we, see, we start to see the ministry of Jesus. Whenever our eyes are fixed on Jesus, whenever our hearts are dedicated to Jesus, whenever we are actually thinking about the realities of heaven and not the realities of earth, when we're thinking about those things, we start to see the ministry of Jesus released into this world, which is what? To heal the sick, to cast out demons, to raise the dead. We start to see those sorts of things happening around us, which sounds crazy. But that's what the kingdom of God does. And this is why it says, when we make Jesus, who's the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith, when our eyes are set on him, we start to see things happening where the ministry of Jesus is released in the world around us. Are you with me now? All right, are you with me on why we're doing this series? Are you, are you with me on what the centrality of Jesus is really about? Are you with me? Yes, okay, good. So that's sort of an introduction today. For a few minutes, I want to talk about um, Jesus and his mission. So again, if you've been following along, we've talked about Jesus and his message. We've talked about Jesus and his kingdom. We've talked about Jesus and his holy anguish, the passionate agitation of his soul last week. We've talked about these things, and today we're going to talk a little bit about his mission. And connected to this is this, um, he clearly had a mission, right? Like, how, how in the world did he, he was come, and he was sent by the Father to do something. He had a mission for why he was here, but... I think talking about how he chose to do it and what he did um, is something that we should take note of. Uh, he obviously did way more than we're going to talk about today, um, but I want to touch on a specific period of Jesus' life and just a few, a few short weeks of his life in which we see some fascinating things about what Jesus did connected to his mission. And a few years ago, I did a message in which we touched on this, and I thought, as we're doing a series on Jesus, we have to touch on this again because it's so critical to the heart of Jesus and some of the most tender revelations we see about who he is and what his ministry was about. So after the resurrection of Jesus, there was a period of 40 days, right? There was a period of 40 days in which he went and he did ministry um, to those really primarily his friends and his followers. And during that 40 days, we actually, again, get some insight. And if, if you had 40 days, what are you going to do with it? You have, you have 40 days, you come back as the resurrected Jesus, I mean, he's come back from the dead, and so what is he going to do with those 40 days? It seems like a pretty important time, right? Uh, and, and so we're going to look at that a little bit. Now, believe it or not, in those 40 days, um, there's all sorts of eyewitnesses. Uh, there's all sorts of historical documentation besi besides the Bible that actually um, accredits there's some real stories about Jesus, actually by historians from that era of Jerusalem, some of them being Jewish who would want to discredit Jesus, actually have documentation that says, the very thing happened where Jesus preached to crowds, performed miracles, and he was 
using this time of these 40 days very specifically. So if you had 40 days after you rose from the dead, what would you do with it? Which is hypothetical, right? But nonetheless, here you are. You just came back from the dead. What is Jesus going to do? I mean, I don't know, but I think you could have went back to the Jewish leaders, the ones who were shouting, crucify, crucify him. You know, you could have went back to him and said, hey, by the way, Jesus lives, <laughs> right? You could, have went to the, you could have went to the heart of the problem, Rome, right? He could have traveled to Rome in those 40 days and you could have got there and he could have went to the, I don't know, went to the Colosseum where the gladiators are fighting and be like, are you not entertained or something like that, right? He could have did something where he went to the Caesar. He went to the Caesar and said, this whole son of God thing that you think is going on in your head, not true. I think I just, you know, he could have done something to where he drew some lines in the sand to make the, sure the world knew he was exactly who he said he was. And he could have wreaked some havoc in those 40 days. But instead, what we find is that he went to his friends, to his followers, and he actually restored those who were struggling to believe why he actually came. Because he knew that if his movement was going to have any any activity beyond him and beyond those 40 days, he was going to have to mobilize a group of people around who he was and around why he came. And so we're going to look at this. And like I said, there's these 40 days, there's actually over 500 eyewitness accounts, non-Christian accounts, all these sorts of things. But there's, this, there's a few stories I want to look at of what he did in these 40 days. We're going to start in Luke 24. There's a couple of people that he talks to known as and this story called The Road to Emmaus, starting in verse 13. If you have a Bible, you can turn there. It's on the screen, of course, Luke 24, verse 13. So again, resurrected Jesus, walking around, doing ministry. What does he do? Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. So that's important. They didn't, they, didn't see, they didn't know who he was. And he asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? And they stood still, their faces downcast. So they are not, not happy. They're disappointed. One of them named Cleopas, future parents, good name for a child right there. Cleopas asked, or Cleopas asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? Hello. <laughs> what things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. That's how I read it. So I'll stop there. A couple leaving Jerusalem headed towards Jemaeus, probably where they live. They're likely with the disciples in Jerusalem, of course, during the time of Jesus' um, crucifixion. And they are leaving because they think it's over. They think it's done, Right? Their faces are downcast. They've been disappointed. Jesus is what they had put their hope in. Jesus is who they believed would be this Messiah. And here he is. He's died and been buried. And they think everything's over. And he's not who he said he was. And so later in the story, Jesus continues with these two. He actually goes and eats with them. So he stays with them for quite some time. Once they get to Emmaus, and so here we go, verse 30. If you have a Bible, you jump down to verse 30. It says, when he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And he disappeared from their sight, which is crazy. I, always, I think there's so much stuff that happens in the 40 days where he just appears and disappears and all this kind of stuff. It's like, this was some freaky 40 days, right? 
So he disappears from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? Then they got up, returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the 11, meaning the 11 disciples, and those with them assembled together and saying, it is true, the Lord has risen. So they returned, right? They returned to Jerusalem. We're going to come back to that. Jesus also appeared to some other people during 40 days, right? One of the people that we know that he appeared to, that is a pretty big story, was a guy named Thomas, right? And Thomas is forever marked as what? The doubter, poor guy. But doubting Thomas, just so you know, had a pretty good ending. He went and did some ministry in India, ended up giving his life for Jesus. Nobody talks about that. They just talk about this moment that he doubted. Hello, he just traveled to India, an ancient world, and just gave his life for Jesus. Let's talk about that for a minute. Are you with me? And I think so many times our doubts get so, so overblown, right? And, but it, obviously it's in the Bible. It means a lot. And so let's talk about it. Verse uh, John 20, we're going to flip over to that. John 20, starting at the end of verse 25. But he said to them, meaning Thomas said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hands into his side, I will not believe. He needed a lot of qualifiers there, didn't he? A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, here we go again. Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Meaning he just appeared. Just showed up. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. What I love about this is Jesus does exactly what Thomas asked, right? And the church, this is a sidebar, but the church should be a place where people can and should bring their doubts and their questions. But so often doubts are criticized and shunned and questioned themselves. And so anyway, we'll, we'll come back to this that idea as well, that Jesus came and he met with those who doubt. Well, who else does Jesus see? Well, he sees some other people, but one of the other big stories that we see is Jesus came and saw Peter. And we all know the story of Peter. Peter had a rough few days, hadn't he? Just in the few days from whenever Jesus had uh, resurrected, he, of course, had denied Christ three times, which is a pretty rough kind of experience for a guy who was so bold and so brash and so always the one to step first in line to say, I'm going to stand for Jesus. So this is on the heels, of course, when, G when, when Peter said the brilliant words to Jesus himself, and he said, I will never deny you. And then he goes that very night and denies him three times. And it says after the third time that Peter realized what he had done. And this wasn't just any denials, by the way. This was like he was cussing in his denials. You know what I mean? Like there was one in which it's recorded. It was like the H-E double hockey sticks. I know I don't know him, you know, kind of, kind of one. And, and he was like, I do not know Jesus. I am not with Jesus after the third denial, he realizes what he's done, and he goes out and he weeps uncontrollably. Imagine failing so miserably, right? So what does Peter do after he fails? If you're really paying attention to the scriptures, what, he, doesn't, he doesn't go to the temple to pray. He doesn't, he doesn't go and try and find himself in a solitary place to say, okay, Lord. No, he goes back and he, he goes to what he used to do. Remember, what was he doing before he met Jesus? He was fishing. What does he do after he failed? He goes back to what he was doing before he knew Jesus, and he goes and fishes again. The one thing he thought, well, maybe I'll, I can do this, because I failed. I messed up. I'm done. Jesus is dead. And so he's fishing. This is within a few days, right, of Jesus' crucifixion. And 
Jesus, of course, comes to Peter and he sees Peter out fishing in a boat and he shouts to him and says, hey, you got any fish? Hey, bring some fish in here. Let's have some breakfast together, which is a really pretty amazing scene. So Peter comes in and he, and he starts to cook breakfast together and they're having fish for breakfast, which is an interesting food choice for breakfast. But anyway, they, uh, they're talking and he asks Peter, do you love me? Of course you know I love you. And he asks him how many times? Three times, of course, right? How many times does he deny him? Three times, of course. There's so much going on here. And then he restores Peter, even in the midst of his failure, and he sends him out and recommissions him to, to do the work of his disciples, or do the work with the disciples to establish his church. And I mean, Peter's failure was of epic proportion, like way bigger than three cavities, right? I mean, it was, it was a big failure straight-up denial of Jesus. And, and I wonder this morning how many of us have failed, especially when it comes into the category of failing like Peter did in the sense of we feel like we failed the Lord in some way. Maybe we've quit on God and we've wondered, can I really come back? Um, Jesus goes to the greatest failures, and he recommissions them through the centrality of his grace, and he sends them out to do work they thought they could never do. Do you know how good that news is? I mean, do you realize how good that news is? He goes to the greatest failures, and he recommissions them through the centrality of his grace to go do something they thought they could never do. That's the stories, and this is, what, this is how Jesus spends his 40 days, right? There's one other story I'll point to in those 40 days. John 20 um, the house where the disciples usually hung out. It was the first time that he appears to, to the disciples, at least to a group of them. And this was actually right before, at least in the recorded scripture, right before the story of Thomas, so kind of backing up a little bit. So Thomas isn't in the room at the time. Um, everybody else but him, poor guy, saw him. But it says this, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. This shows up. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. So as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Don't you know that everybody in that room said, Hold on, what? That's a pretty... <laughs> this had to freak them out in so many ways because they... I, I'm sure there was a lot of like overjoyed Jesus here, and maybe they weren't quite catching everything he said. But if they started thinking about what he said, this, there had to be these moments of, you're surely not talking about me. I am not able, worthy, qualified, ready to do what you were sent to do. I'm not. And I believe often we are intimidated. See, see if you're with me on this. Often we are intimidated by the idea that we are being sent for a gospel purpose. There's, there's, a, there's an intimidation factor that comes with the fact that you and I are truly sent for a gospel purpose. A lot of us, we're totally fine with like being created by God and being loved by God, but the idea that you and I are sent like Jesus was sent for a gospel purpose, it sort of changes everything, doesn't it? When we look at our 
city, when we look at our world and we think about all that needs to happen for Jesus and we think, oh, that's me, that's us, a lot of us feel very unqualified, very inadequate in that category. We think, oh, I'm not spiritual enough or knowledgeable enough or mature enough or I haven't had enough, you know, whatever it is. I'm not passionate enough. And so we, we, we kind of maybe silently, you know, hand those responsibilities to the spiritual juggernauts around us, whoever they may be, and we expect that they're going to kind of carry the weight and we'll just kind of be on the sidelines, so to speak. And Anyway. The truth is for many of us, our issues of faith, the issues that our church faces, we just don't feel adequate enough to be a sent people. I was thinking about the word sent and, and, and what it really means because I think sometimes it's just, it's just a word, but I want you to think about it like this. Um, think if Christy sends me, if Christy sends me to um, the grocery store to pick up some milk, eggs, and fabric softener, which happened to be coincidentally, the same items that Kevin McAllister picked up in Home Alone 1. <laughs> Gotta go get some milk, eggs, and fabric softener. Anyway, she sent me to get the same thing. It's kind of a weird coincidence. And so I go to get that, and in my coming and going, I have a purpose of being sent to the store, right? I have a purpose that I'm going to go get the milk, eggs, and fabric softener, and I'm going to come home with it. But if, what if she said, hey, will you go to the store? And I said, well, what do you want me to get? And she says, nothing, just go, will you? I'm being sent without a purpose, right? With no mission. There's no reason for me to go to the store. She just wants me to go. That doesn't make any sense. Being sent means you're being sent with an actual mission and a purpose. And this is why Jesus was sent. Essential to his mission, he had a purpose of why he came. And he says, just as I have been sent by the Father, I am sending you. Not to go and just exist not to just go show up, actually to go and do something, actually to go and accomplish something, actually to go, oh, by the way, here's a whole bunch of things that I, I feel like this is what a believer, follower of Jesus is supposed to mean, which we're gonna, we've been talking about forever, right? So let's sit back and look at this, right? By the way, so many people, like I keep saying, feel inadequate when it comes to the idea that God could use you to do something remarkable for the kingdom. And I'm saying this, and it sounds so easy to say that out loud, and a lot of us go, oh yeah, that's probably true, but, but I want you to really personalize this because I think so many of us feel like, uh, you know, I have a, maybe mine's just a little small, tiny thing, you know, like a little thing I'm going to do. Let's sit back and look at this. Jesus spent his critical time, these 40 days, and he went to his friends, and he went to his followers, and he restores them. I mean, he could have done anything, right, with these 40 days, but this is what he does. Again, like I said at the very beginning, this is one of the most tender revelations about Jesus and his ministry that we can find, because I think so many times, like, think about this. He went to the people that were closest to him and made sure that they got it, and then he sent them somewhere. He, 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 he reoriented their movement and their mission. So this is what he did. He restored. He restored disappointed people, doubting people, people who fail, and people who feel inadequate. He breathed back into these people life. He restored their purpose, and he oriented their story going forward, didn't he? And he sent them somewhere. He gave them a mission. And it happened to be the same mission that he had, restoring people, giving people life, giving people eyes to see the truth. So, here, so here's what I was thinking about this morning is, man, 
the church is full, and not just the church, I mean the world is full of this right here. It's full of disappointed people. It's full of people who doubt, people who failed, and people who feel inadequate. Are you with me now? And this is, why, this is what Jesus did with his 40 days. He's like, I got to go to the people who, who feel inadequate. I got to go to the people who feel like they've failed. I got to go to the people who are disappointed about life. I got to go to those who, who just can't quite get their doubts figured out. So let me just ask you, let's just put this, like I said, real personal. I thought this morning, there's, there's going to be people in here that, that probably have experienced some disappointment. Perhaps your disappointment is about life in general. Perhaps it's in God. You think you've been disappointed by God. He hasn't done something that you think he sh- should have. Perhaps you've been disappointed by people. They've let you down. You've been hurt. Perhaps a career that you thought was going to work out hasn't really worked out, and you kind of sit in this place of disappointment where life just kind of, you just feel it all the time, and you're just like let down by something. Or perhaps you're one of those that's just like you're full of doubts, and it's so real for so many people where the doubts just sort of, they just creep around your life all the time. And, and I love what the two from Emmaus said, right, when they were walking, and it said, were your hearts not burning inside of us as he talked to us going along the road and he opened scriptures to us? I love that line that were your hearts not burning? And I think for so many of us, what I, would, what I believe is that the Holy Spirit, like, speaks, right, and, and, and is constantly sort of drawing people to him. And so inside of us, even in our doubts, we feel what they just described, this burning sense in our heart and even in our doubts. And that's just the Holy Spirit saying, I'm not going to let you rest in your doubts. I'm going to try and come and, and fulfill them for you. And then what about failure? Have some of you experienced some sort of failure in which life has just defeated you? You've had something happen that, couldn't, that can't unhappen, so you live a life full of regret. And maybe this isn't like all-consuming, but you're like, yeah, that thing, I just can't kick it. What about a, pe- a person who feels inadequate? Be a person who really represents Jesus. Maybe you think, can we really be someone? That, and maybe you don't even think about this, but you just have already, you've already just submitted to the fact that you're not going to do anything that significant. You just feel that way. So let me just ask you, if, are you any of these four? Because this is why he came, right? He came and restored. But here's the, here's the good news, right? The good news this is, here's what I want you to hear, is that Jesus was sent. So if you're feeling any of those, Jesus was sent for you. That's why he came. And he's still coming for you, and he's restoring you. And now, today, he actually restores. So he restores, to this day, he restores disappointed people, right? He restores doubts. He restores your failures. He restores your inadequacies. He restores now. He didn't just restore then. He restores today. So Jesus, in his mission, is about restoring people and then sending them towards a better story, a story that's full of life, a story that's full of purpose. So let's just think about this for a moment. Together, for us as a community, this is what bringing life to a city means. It means that we are going to befriend 
people. We're going to go to people. We're going to talk to people in life who are disappointed. Have you ever found, have you ever talked to someone who's disappointed, who's ever failed? Have you ever talked to someone who feels inadequate, like they're not good enough? Have you ever talked to someone who feels all sorts of doubts? And my guess is that all of us have felt that, right? And so bringing life to a city and what this means and what it means to be sent as a people is saying, we're going to go to people and we're going to say, oh yeah, you feel that? You feel that? Yeah, me too. <laughs> me too. I've been there. I feel it. I feel it today. Here's the thing that's so crazy is the more that I journey with Christ, the more I can feel that pain, right? Like I can feel disappointment. I can feel doubt. I can feel inadequacy. I understand it and I get it. And so I can look at someone and I can say, me too, because sometimes I have no idea how I'm standing where I'm standing because if, if it's up left up to me, like, no, I, we can't, I can't do this thing that Jesus calls us to, but it's only by the power of Jesus and only by the love and grace of Jesus that we can even do what we're doing now. That's the only way we can be sent is through the power of the Spirit with us because left on our own, we live in that. We live in disappointment and doubt. And we live in inadequacy. We live in, in, in all these things that, that tear us down, right? But Jesus comes and he says, I'm coming to restore that. I'm gonna fix that. In fact, I'm gonna use my 40 days that I got left and I'm gonna go for that purpose because I know if I can restore my people, the people that I'm closest to, if I can restore them and I can empower them with the power and the authority of my name, Jesus, and the power of the Holy Spirit, if I can do that with them, they'll change the world. We must learn how to live as a sent people and not just the saved people. You know what saved people do? Saved people feel like they've arrived. Sent people are going somewhere. And I don't know about you, but I want to go somewhere. I want to get to the end of my story. And God has sent me so many, to so many people into so many places that I can say, I have no idea how I lived the life I lived, but Jesus sent me all over the place. And now I have a story that is a story I could never tell him. If I was left to do it on my own, it would have never happened. It's a life beyond anything I can imagine. If it's, it's the Habakkuk 1.5, right? I could, if I began to tell you about all the great things that God is doing among us in this generation, you wouldn't even believe it. You wouldn't even believe it because it's not us. He comes and restores us, sets us back up on our feet, but doesn't just say, hey, you're great, but he says, I'm with you. And if you, go, if, if, if you trust me, I'm gonna send you to do things you never thought you could do. I wonder how many in the room would have never imagined God having you here right now. Meet me literally in church. <laughs> like how many years ago you're like, you would have, if you told me I was going to be in church, then I would have said, no way. <laughs> how many of us have, we can't really even begin to describe how blown away we are by God's forgiveness. How many in this room, if that was your, I mean, you can really truly say that. How many in the room can really truly say, I was in the pit and God pulled me out? I used to be full of hatred, but now I, I, I'm not. I'm just not anymore. I have love in me. I used to be deep in sin. I'm not perfect, but now I see what is good and right. I mean, how many of us can say those sorts of things? His mission is to see every man, woman, and child restored. 
all things made new. And that is his mission, and that's why we started with those statements, right? Out of, out of Rome, I mean, out of Hebrews and out of Colossians. Listen to this. He says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross for us, scorning its shame. And now, where is he? He sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And then Colossians says, since you've been raised up to a new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. When we think about the things of heaven, guess what? Heaven invades earth. When we set our sights on Jesus and our hearts are centered on Christ, it brings the kingdom of Jesus to earth. And so today, friends, what I would say is, may Jesus be your focus and your leader. May Jesus, may you allow Jesus to come in and to restore any disappointment you may be feeling today. May you allow Jesus to come in and restore any doubts that have been kind of just clouding your heart. May you allow Jesus to come in and restore any failures that you continue to find yourself tripping over. And may you allow Jesus to restore any inadequacies, but more than just restore. May you be filled by the power and the authority of Jesus. May you be empowered by the spirit that he breathed on his disciples and said, I'm sending you just like the Father sent me. That's why we fix our eyes on Jesus. That's his mission. That's what we get to be a part of. And man, it's so good. I, lo I love that we get to call Jesus our Savior, that he's with us. Would you bow your heads with me?